Hello there, and welcome back to episode 7, yes, 7 already, of What You May Have Mythed. I hope you are all well and still enjoying our escapades into myths, legends, folktales, and everything in between. As I said last week, we are journeying to South America today to find out what Brazil has to offer in regard to its folktales. Brazil was occupied by the hunter-gatherer tribes. There is evidence to suggest that there were people living in this part of the world as far back as 9000 BCE. As we have already seen through civilizations this old, the oral tradition of passing stories down was very important to the cultures. However, those of you who know your history will be aware that South America is a place that was heavily colonised during the Age of Discovery. So many cultures found themselves in South America. The Portuguese were the most prevalent, but other European folks arrived there from places such as Poland and Germany, and, sadly, slaves from Africa. What this influx of other cultures did was infuse the folklore that already existed with tales from their own lands. Therefore, once again, you may find similarities between the folk story in today's episode and some European folk tales that appear in, say, the Brothers Grimm fairy tales. Let me know if you do. Now, if you cast your mind back to episode 5 of this series, you will remember the rather hilarious folk tale of the seven-inch high dwarf with the seven-foot-long beard, yes? Well, the tale in today's episode is of the same ilk. It's an entertaining tale, to say the least, with many quirky characters and magical objects. I hope you enjoy this one. The Beast Slayer Once upon a time, there lived a very poor man and his wife. The man was a carpenter and earned his living making wooden bowls and platters. He would wake very early in the morning and work until very late. But the wooden bowls and platters were so cheap that, regardless how hard he worked, he just could not earn enough money to support his family. The man and his wife were parents to three lovely daughters. They were all dazzlingly beautiful, and the man and his wife were devastated at the fact that they did not have enough money to educate them and clothe them fittingly. One day, a handsome young man, mounted on a beautiful horse, came to the door of the poor man's house. He asked to buy one of the poor man's daughters. The father was very much shocked at this request, as I assume anyone would be. "'I may be poor,' he said, "'but I am not so poor that I have to sell my children.' The young man, however, was very unpleasant and threatened to kill him if he refused to do his bidding. There was a very short struggle, and eventually the father consented to sell his eldest daughter. The handsome young man gave him a great sum of money in return. 
The father was now a rich man and so no longer wanted to make bowls and platters, but his wife urged him to keep at it. So, doing as he was told, he went back to work. The very next day there came to his door another young man, even more handsome than the first, astride an even finer horse. This young man made the same request that the other had done. He wanted to buy one of the daughters. The father burst into tears and told all the very upsetting events of the day before. The young man, however, showed no pity and continued to demand one of the daughters. He made awful threats if the man refused to yield to his request. The father became so frightened again that he parted with his second daughter. The first young man had paid a great sum of money, but this one paid even more. Though he was now very rich, the father still went on making bowls and platters in order to please his wife. The next day, when he was at work, the most handsome young man he had ever seen appeared riding upon an utterly beautiful steed. This young man demanded the third daughter. The poor father was forced to yield just as before, though it nearly broke his heart to part with his only remaining child. The price which the young man paid was so very great that the family was now as rich as it had once been poor. Their home was not childless very long, however, as soon the man's wife gave birth to a baby boy. There is no name for him in the original, but rather than constantly say, the boy or the young man, and for the sake of making this tale easier to understand, we shall call him Juan. They brought Juan up in great luxury, thanks to their newfound wealth. One day, when Juan was at school, he got into an argument with one of his classmates. The classmate said, <laughs> You think your father was always rich, do you? He's a rich man now, it's true, but it's because he sold your three sisters. The words made him sad, but he said nothing about the matter at home. He hid it away in his mind and did not think of it again until he was a man. Then he went to his father and mother and demanded that they tell him all about it. His parents told him the whole story regarding the sad and peculiar circumstances whence they had obtained their wealth. I am now a man, Juan said. I feel it is right that I should go out into the world in search of my sisters. Perhaps I might be able to find them and aid them in some way. Give me your blessing and allow me to go. His mother and father gave him their blessing, and so Juan started out to make a search through all the world. Soon he came to a house where there were three brothers quarrelling over a boot, a cap and a key. What is the matter? Juan asked. Why are these things so valuable that you should quarrel over them? The first brother replied, saying, If one says to the boot, Oh, boot, put me somewhere, the boot will immediately and without question put one anywhere he wishes to go. The second brother said, If you say to the cap, Oh, cap, hide me, the cap will instantly hide you somewhere you cannot be seen. The third brother said, This is the key to unlock any door in the whole world, literally any door. Want to open a bank door? Need to escape from a prison? Locked in the toilet? This is the key that will get you out. 
At once, Juan decided that he wanted to own these things himself, as I'm sure you do. Well, I certainly do. He offered so much money for them that at last the three brothers decided to end their quarrel by selling the boot, the cap and the key and dividing the money. Juan put the three treasures in his saddlebag and continued on his way. As soon as he was out of sight of the house, he said to the boot, O oh boot, put me in the house of my eldest sister. At once, Juan found himself in the most magnificent palace he had ever seen in his life. He asked to speak with his sister, but the queen of the palace replied that she had no brother and that she did not want to be bothered with the stranger. It took much urging from Juan to gain permission from her to relate his story, but when she had once heard it, everything seemed to fit together, and so she decided to receive him as her brother. She asked how he had ever found her home and how he had come through the thicket which surrounded her palace. He told her about his magic boot. That afternoon, the queen suddenly burst into tears. "'Whatever is the matter?' asked Juan. "'Oh, dear! Oh, dear! What shall we do? What shall we do?' sobbed the queen. "'My husband is the king of the fishes. When he comes to dinner tonight, he will be very angry to find a human in his palace.' Juan told her about his magic cap and comforted her fears. Soon the king of fishes arrived, accompanied by his retinue. He came into the palace in a very bad temper, kicking and punching everything in his way. Lilo, Lilia, I smell the blood of a human here. I smell the blood of a human here, he said in a fierce, savage voice. It took much vigorous persuasion on the part of the queen to get him to take a bath. In the end, she tempted him with some rubber ducks, and after his scrub in the tub, he appeared in the form of a handsome man. He then sat down to dine. When he had nearly finished his supper, his wife said to him, If you should see my brother here, what would you do to him? I would be kind to him, of course, just as I am to you, responded the king of fishes. If he is here, let him appear. Juan then took off the magic cap, by which he had hidden himself. The king did indeed treat him kindly and courteously, so much so that he invited him to live for the rest of his life in the palace. Juan declined the invitation, saying that he had two other sisters to visit, so he took his departure soon. Before he left, his brother-in-law gave him a scale with these words, If you are ever in danger in which I can help you, take this scale and say, Help me, O king of the fishes. Juan thanked the king and put the scale in his saddlebag. Then he took out his magic boot and said, O oh, boot, put me in the home of my second sister. He found his second sister queen in an even more exquisite palace than his eldest sister. Her husband was king of rams and treated the newly found brother of his queen with great affection. When Juan had finished his visit there, the king of rams gave him a piece of wool, saying, If you are ever in any peril in which I can help you, pull this wool and ask for the help of the king of rams. With the aid of his magic boot, 
Juan visited the home of his youngest sister, and he found her in the most glorious palace of them all. Her husband was king of pigeons. When he departed, the king gave him a feather, telling him if he was ever in any danger that all he had to do was pull the feather and say, Help me, O king of pigeons! All three of the young man's brothers-in-law had admired the power of his magic boot, and they had all advised him to visit the land of the King of Giants. After having left each of his three sisters full of happiness in their magnificent palaces, he felt free to act upon this advice, and so, by means of his magic boot, he once again found himself in a new country. Not long later, Juan heard on the street that the king of the land of giants had a beautiful giantess daughter whom he wished to give in marriage if she could be persuaded to choose a husband. Once again, thankfully this is illegal now, as women are able to choose when and if they wish to marry. The king giant's daughter was such a famous beauty that no one could pass before her palace without eagerly gazing up in hopes of seeing her lovely face at the window. The giant princess, not being a shallow and vain person, had grown weary of being the object of so much attention, and she had made a vow that she would marry no one except a man who could pass before her without lifting his eyes. Juan became very interested when he heard this offer, and at once rode past the palace with his eyes fixed steadily on the ground. As he rode, he did not once give a glance upward in the direction of the window where the beautiful giant princess was watching him. The princess was overcome with joy at the sight of this handsome stranger who appeared as if he had responded to her vow, which obviously he had. The king summoned Juan to his palace and ordered that the wedding should be celebrated. After the wedding, the giant princess soon found out that her new husband carried his most precious treasures in his saddlebag. She inquired their significance and he told her all about them. She was especially interested in the key. She said that there was a room in the palace which was never opened. In this room was a fierce beast which always returned to life whenever it was killed. The giant princess had always been anxious to see the beast with her own eyes, and so she suggested that they should use the key to unlock the door of the forbidden room and take a peep at the beast. Juan, however, gave her no encouragement to do this. He decided, rather wisely, that it was a stupid idea and one that he would not condone. But one day, when he had gone hunting with the king and court, the princess was excited to find that Juan had left the magic key behind. At once she picked it up and opened the forbidden door. The beast gave a great leap, roaring out at her, You are the very one I have sought! And he seized her with his sharp claws. Clearly Juan was right in his assumption of this being a stupid idea. When her husband and father returned from their hunting trip, they were deeply troubled to find that the princess had disappeared. No one knew where she was. After searching through the palace and gardens all in vain, they went to the place where the beast was always kept. The prince recognised his magic key in the door, 
but the room was empty. The beast had fled with the giant princess. Once more, Juan made use of his magic boot and soon was by the side of the princess. The beast had hidden her in a cave by the sea and had gone away in search of food. The giant princess was delighted to find her husband next to her, whom she had never expected to see again, and wanted to race away from the cave with him at once. "'You have got yourself into this affair,' said Juan. "'I can get you out again, I think, but I believe that it is your duty to at least make an effort to take the beast's life. Perhaps when he comes back to the cave you can extract from him the secret of his charmed life.' The princess admitting her stupidity at getting herself in this ridiculous situation, stayed to await the beast's return. Then she asked him to tell her the secret of his charmed life. The beast was deeply flattered to have the giant princess so interested in him, and he told it to her at once. He never even considered there may be a trick looming. This is what he said. My life is the sea! In the sea there is a chest, in the chest there is a stone, in the stone there is a pigeon, in the pigeon there is an egg, in the egg there is a candle, and at the moment when the candle is extinguished, I die. Whilst the beast spoke, Juan had remained there, hiding under his magic cap. He heard every word the beast said. As soon as the beast had fallen asleep, the prince stood on the seashore, took out the scale which his brother-in-law had given him, and said, Help me, O king of the fishes! Instantly there appeared a great multitude of fishes asking what he wished them to do. He asked them to get the chest from the depths of the sea. They replied that they had never seen such a chest, but that probably the swordfish would know about it. They rushed to summon the swordfish, and he came at once. "'Oh, yeah, that old thing,' said the swordfish. "'Seen it just this morning, on my way to the beach. Lots of tasty legs there, you see. I'll show your fishy friends where it is.' All the fishies went with him to get it, and soon they brought the chest out of the sea. The prince opened the chest easily with the aid of his magic key, and inside he found a stone. Then the prince pulled the piece of wool which his second brother-in-law had given him and said, Help me, O king of the rams! Immediately there appeared a great drove of rams running to the seashore from all directions. They attacked the stone, giving it mighty blows with their hard heads and horns. Soon they broke open the stone, and from it there flew a pigeon. The beast now awoke from his sleep feeling very ill. He remembered all that he had told the princess and accused her of having made a plot against his life. He seized his great axe, which he had left against a wall, to kill the princess. Meanwhile, Juan had pulled the feather which his third brother-in-law had given him and cried, Help me, O king of the pigeons! At once a great flock of pigeons appeared, attacking the lone pigeon, and tore it to pieces. Just as the beast had caught the princess and was about to run her through, the prince took the egg from within the slain pigeon. He broke the egg and blew out the candle within. At that moment the beast fell 
dead, and the princess escaped unharmed. The prince carried the giant princess home to her father's kingdom, and the king held a great party which lasted many days. There was rejoicing throughout the whole kingdom because of the death of the beast and because of the safety of the lovely princess. The prince was praised throughout the kingdom, and there is talk of him even to this very day. The prince had cut off the head of the great beast and the tip of its tail. The head he gave to the king, but the tip of the tail he kept for himself. The beast was so enormous that just the tip of its tail made a great ring large enough to encircle the prince's body. One day, just for fun, he twined the tip of the beast's tail around his waist. He immediately grew and grew until he became a giant himself, almost as tall as the king of the land of giants and several leagues taller than the princess. So it is not strange that a man who became a giant among giants should be famous even until now. Like I said, a very weird yet enjoyable folktale. Once again, like with Polish tales, the folklore of Brazil is utterly new to me, yet if this story is anything to go by, the rest of it will be deeply entertaining. Could you pick up on any similarities with any European folk tales? Well, if you could, drop me a message. Either email me at themythspodcast at gmail.com or tweet me on at mythedpodcast. I did tell you at the end of episode 5 that there would be more damsel in distress, heroic prince, evil creature, happy ending legends, so there you are. There are no more of these kind of episodes for the rest of this series, though. Next week is a double episode with two shorter myths, but from where, I wonder? Somewhere we've not visited before. But that's all I'll tell you for the time being. Ooh, mysterious. For now, though, I shall leave you anticipating, I hope, next week's episode of What You May Have Mythed. Oh.